Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Just before you take your seat, can we, um, can we just do something? Can we just pray? Can you just uh, stand there like you're at a party about to receive a gift and uh, put your hands out in front of you? Lord, I just pray tonight that, um, that what you've put on my heart and stirred my spirit with, that you will put on everyone's heart here. That you will stir and put in their spirit tonight, Lord. That, Lord God, it wouldn't be the things that I say, but it would be what you say through me, Lord God, that would speak to every heart, Lord God, and stir us for, Lord, for what you are going to do and what you're wanting to do, Lord God, in our lives and in this city. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. Uh, recently, some of you would have, uh, who watched the Royal Wedding? Thanks, worship team. You did an awesome job. as not. Let's give the worship team a hand. Who watched the Royal Wedding? No, some of you did, some of you didn't, a lot of you did. And uh, had nearly a third, nearly a third of the world's population was watching, and, uh, which is over two billion people were watching. And uh, some of you would have uh, seen it, it's all very traditional, um, apart from when the preacher got up and uh, broke a bit of tradition, and who uh, was invited by uh, the, the couple to come and, uh, Harry and his wife, to um, come and speak. And, uh, and he, you know, stirred some things up, and, a few, and I thought, when I was watching, I thought, man, there's going to be some people writing about this tomorrow. And... Um, and you know, I was looking at you know the faces of the guests on the in the wedding. There's all these celebrities. There's George Clooney, and there was all these people. There was you know sing, famous singers and actors and all sitting there and and uh, listening. And and he talked about this is what he talked about. He talked about the power of love. He talked about love. And uh, and then the next over the next days, um, I'll, I'll just share a couple of things that he he said. A couple of quotes I pulled out. He says. He said, I love this quote, he said, if you cannot preach like Peter and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. And he said, that's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be uh, sacrificial and so doing becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives and it, cha- and it can change this world. And he shared a whole lot of stuff about that and predominantly talked about love, which is the basis of what, and he talked about God's love, and that is the base of, basis of, of someone getting married. It comes out of God's love, and that's what he was sharing. And, and, uh, but then over the next three days, there was plenty of people loved it, but there was all this criticism about, and just see, this is some of the things that um, you know, people said, saying that he made it all about himself. He talked about God, he talked about the Holy Spirit, he talked about Jesus, and he, you know, but they said, oh, he talked, he made it all about himself, he didn't make it about, you know, Harry and Megan, he just, Megan, he just made it all about himself, which wasn't true, but this is what they started to say, and, and he said, and people commented, it was awful, it was embarrassing, it was disgraceful. And someone, put, someone said, Harry will wish he, had, he was dead in, in a month's time because of uh, Megan wanted this man to speak at the wedding. This is all social media and people. And I thought, wow, it wasn't all like that. And there was tabloids and there was newspapers and commenting all this stuff, especially from England and all that. And this is what, and the reason I share this is this is what it alerted me to, that it showed me that the world we live in, their hearts have grown hard. 
He's talking about love. It was the truth. He just spoke the truth of God's word, but people's hearts, not everyone's, because some people said how, how good it was and, and they enjoyed it, but there was a lot of people that they had just all it was is the hardness. Sin makes your hard heart hard. And so it's like the sin, they've been consumed with so much sin and it allowed sin just to take control of their lives and do this, that and the other. Their heart was hard and they hear a message about love, which is, and it also showed that people have so watered down what marriage, what they're understanding what marriage really is, that when he talks about the whole basis of why we get married, that people go, oh, that was terrible. That was awful. Harry's going to want to just, just get rid of, just don't want to get rid of her because she got this man to speak. How terrible. Like, grow up. And so, and so, and so, you know, when that's what it showed me that there was this, you know, when they react like that, it showed the hardness of people's heart. That's not, you know, that's not something new. That's something the Bible talked about, right? Thousands, thousands of years is not new in a world that, you know, at times that their hearts have grown hard. It talks about that in the Bible. And, and, uh, and it showed that when we can even speak a message of truth, how that it can actually cause people to react. Now, one reason they react is because it convicts them that they're not actually living a life of love. And, uh, and it kind of makes him uncomfortable that he would speak the truth and you see Elton John sitting in the crowd looking around like what's he talking about here and and all these celebrities are awkward and all these people people coming about all these people were squirming in their seats some of them and some people don't know how to react because he's he was actually passionate and he actually for once so I mean James McPherson good made a did a tweet and said well people probably acted because for once they saw a preacher that believed something he was preaching he was passionate about what he preached and he believed in what he was saying. And so it brings me from that point to say that to talk about something tonight, that one of the things that actually softens a hardened heart, and that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. In a world that we live in, because there's people like that in our city, that react to the truth of God's word, react to even you as a person when you carry the love of God and you can speak the truth and you can be kind and, and loving and they can still come out harsh and say things. Why do they do that? Because your life, even though you don't even openly talk about it, the way you live, what you don't say and because you live right and your actions are true can actually offend someone because they're living so far away from God that your life, your very life, the way you're living actually causes them to feel uncomfortable because it reacts with the sin and the stuff and the darkness in their life. And so... Don't be surprised sometimes when people come at you and why did they say that? Why did they react? Because you carry something on the inside of you of the love of God that will, there's always a clash between light and darkness. So tonight I want to talk about something that one of the things that breaks the hardness in someone's heart that God uses. And in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, I've called this message tonight the seventh weapon. And so Ephesians 6 10 to 18, New Living Translation, 
it talks about the armour of God. I'll read that to you. It says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. If we are not fighting against flesh and blood, we're not fighting against people, uh, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers. Six pieces of armor listed there. And we and I've heard many messages on that. But there's a seventh thing that is mentioned that we often overlook and don't actually realize how important it is. And so I want to read this again in Ephesians 6 to 10, 18. In the message version, it gives us a slight different take on it. It says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you, to, you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all... Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than just words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's Word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. The seventh piece I'm talking about that we often overlook is prayer. Prayer is a weapon with that... I, you know, being in the number seven in the Bible is the number of wholeness or completion. And I don't think that it's any coincidence that he mentions prayer as a seventh because I think that the whole armor doesn't work properly unless we're praying. Because we can, all of them are powerful weapons. The word we know is so powerful, but we need to be praying and speaking the word. All those, all those things are weapons. Faith is a weapon. All those, salvation, we all need salvation. We all come to Jesus, but that comes through prayer. And so prayer is a weapon. And it says this at the end, what I just read, it's the Word of God's Word is an indispensable weapon in the same way prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. It's saying that prayer also is an indispensable weapon. And prayer is something that, when we pray together, actually breaks down hard hearts. 
you can speak the word because the bishop did. He spoke the word and got, and it's like hitting hard hearts. And then people, and some people that didn't have hard hearts received it, you know, and said, oh, that was great. And others are like, that was the most despicable, awful, blah, 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 because it hit their hard heart. But when we pray, when we begin to pray for that person, then suddenly there's something begins to happen and their heart begins to soft. And so then they hear the same message again and suddenly they receive it. Some of it gets through and starts to break down the hardness and, and breaks down the, the wall of sin and the barriers of sin in their life. And they begin to, hear, begin to receive the truth of God's word. Prayer is a weapon. It's a weapon that God says we need to use. And to be honest, our nation, if we look at our nation as a whole, our nation is actually in serious spiritual trouble. If we're just, there's, you know, we've got some incredible churches. You know, we've got churches, people, people saved basically every week in our church, other churches, like that. but overall, our nation is in serious spiritual trouble. There's, there's things going on in our nation and the government doesn't know how to fix it. Politicians don't know how to fix it. People are trying, they're spending multiple millions of dollars trying to fix this problem and that problem and that problem and it's only getting worse. So our nation is in serious spiritual trouble and the thing that needs to happen is that we need a serious spiritual answer. We need, a serious, uh, we need to get serious spiritually about our nation to see all those things to, for breakthrough to happen. Because the answer isn't throwing more money into a situation. The answer is to actually pray for our nation. And if we're, and if we're honest with ourselves, often the thing that we don't do or the thing we do the least as a Christian is probably pray. We read the Word every day. And sometimes some of you are probably sitting here don't do that every day. And we can we meet people and we're kind of people, we help people, they're all important, they're all good, we love people, we're kind of people. But often the least thing we go, oh, I've just run out of time to pray. I need I just can't find the time to pray. And we neglect prayer. And it's prayer that is actually the answer to everything. It's the prayer that's the answer to everything. Our Whatever we want to call it, our, our nation needs a spiritual awakening. We need a move of God. We need a revival, whatever you want to call it. And throughout history, there's been significant moves of God. And, there, and there's no different as this world that we live in has been in situations like we're in, where there's like this hardness of heart and, and in areas, and especially in our Western world, where you think, how, when, what's going to happen here? That This has happened all through history, but God has come with incredible moves of God, you can read about in history, that has changed nations and changed, swept across things. But all of them have come... There's one significant thing. They've all come, and the thing that's happened the same through them all is they've all started through prayer. They've all started through prayer. It's the same. It's the, there's lots that's happened in different ways, but significantly, basically, if you look at it all, the basic thing is that people, a group of people, came together and began to pray, and God moved. They weren't just praying individually, even like, and I'm going to talk about individual prayer and, prayer and corporate prayer. It, individual prayer is great, but when breakthrough needs to happen, it always happened when people came together, when they gathered together in unity, when there was corporate prayer. And I'll show you a few things where that happened. 
So our nation, we know the state of our nation. We know the state of, you can break it down to our city. Our city last weekend, uh, Pastor Ray Franjakis from the Baptist Church shared that seven, only 7% of Harvey Bay actually attend church. The national average is 15. The national average. And we would say, hey, look, church is great. It's great coming to church Sunday night and all that. But there's thousands of people. Thousands of people within a kilometre or two of this building that are away from God. They're full of brokenness and they don't know how to get out of it. And they don't, haven't heard the word of God. They haven't heard the gospel. And they're not going to just get up and walk into this church. And they may not, if you walk up to them and start preaching to them, they probably won't listen. But you can begin to pray for them and their heart, the hardness of their heart. The Holy Spirit will move and will begin to change something supernaturally. And, I'll, and I want to share a story about uh, an example of that happening that didn't happen too long ago. There's a, in 1949, there was a, a move of God, revival, whatever you want to call it, in Hebrides. Hebrides is a chain of islands off Scotland. Uh, so 1949, so about 60, 60 odd, 60, 70 years ago. And, um, and I just want to read you this account of uh, what was written by uh, a speaker, the preacher that eventually came there, was asked to come and, and speak at, at a series of meetings. And he wrote this about what happened. And I just want to read you part of it and share, share this results of what happened. It says, two old women, one of them uh, 84 years of age and the other 82 one of them was stone deaf and the other was blind. They were both sisters, lived in the same house, were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own church. It was true that not a single young person attended public worship, not a single young man or young woman went to the church and those two women were greatly concerned and they made it a special matter of prayer. A verse gripped them, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and flood, upon, and flood upon the dry ground. They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so, uh, so much time in prayer twice a week. On Tuesday, they got up, got on their knees at 10 o'clock at night and remained on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage on an island of Scotland. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. And remember revival, remember revival, God works in wonderful ways. A vision came to one of them, and in the vision she saw the church of her father, so the church in town, crowded with young boys, and a strange minister standing in the pulpit. And she was so impressed by the vision that she sent for the parish minister. And of course, he knowing the two sisters, knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation and uh, called at their cottage. That morning, one of the sisters said to the minister, you must do something about it. And I would suggest that you call your office bearers together, so the elders of the church, and that you spend with us at least two nights in prayer a week, Tuesday and Friday. You can meet in a barn at the farm community and you can meet in the barn as you, as you pray there and we'll pray here in our cottage. Well, that was what happened. The minister called his office bearers together and seven of them, only seven, uh, the church wasn't very big, it was only out of the whole town, there was only about 20 people attending church. Seven of them met in the barn to pray on a Tuesday and a Friday and the two old women got on their knees and prayed with them. Well, that continued for some weeks indeed, I believe almost a month and a half, about six weeks, until one night 
Now, this, this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of. I'm just reading what he's written in this article. One night they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading this promise, I will pour words upon the dry ground. When young, one young man, a deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. And that young man closed the Bible. And looking down at the minister and the other office bearers, he said this, maybe uh, crude words, but perhaps not so crude in Gaelic language. He said, it seems to me to be much so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his two hands, and I'm telling you, just as the minister told me it happened, he lifted his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. The young man fell to his knees and then fell into a trance. In other words, he fell into the power of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, it says, at that moment, a hundred people, for some reason, like the, it says the whole village was awakened to the awareness of God in a moment. And it said at that moment, at whatever late night, they started praying at 10 o'clock at night, so the early hours of the morning, a hundred people got up out of their beds and get, began to gather in the church and pray and seek God. The Holy Spirit just woke them up. And so then they said, what, what are we going to do? God's obviously doing something here. And so then they went and sent for a preacher. This, this is the man that read this article. His name was Duncan Campbell. And they sent and said, we need someone to just do a series of meetings. Something, God's doing something in our, in our town, in our village. And so they sent for him and he came. And it said he arrived and, and the meeting on the first night, they gathered together in a church and uh, it was just with about 100 people and that were there. And it was just, they said it was okay. It was just an ordinary meeting. Nothing special happened. Everyone walked out of the meeting at about 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. And then... And then he said, then this one young man came back in, the same young man who was stood in that barn and prayed. And he came back and he talked to him and said, well, will you pray with me? And pray with him. And the power of God hit him. And someone else that says the local blacksmith came running in the building and said, you need to come outside. You need to come outside. And as whatever happened, when he prayed for him, suddenly all these streams of people came pouring out of houses and 600 people gathered at the front of the church. And they, and they just gathered there and they said, we, we, need to, we need to meet with God. We need to do something. And they all poured into the church, 600 people. The church held about 800 people. They poured into the church. And then it says that across the way, there was a, like a local dance sort of thing happening on. It would have been a bit different to a nightclub that you see around now. But there's a dance happening full of young people, over 100 young people in there. And it said this wave of God swept through the whole village and then it hit the dance hall and the musicians and everyone playing froze and just stopped. They stopped playing. No, and everyone just stopped dancing. And this awareness of God came over over 100 young people and said, we need to go to the church. And a whole lot of them just instantly walked out of the building and flooded into the church. And now the church, the church was filled with 800 people and the meeting went on till 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and then it said that, after that, they continue with meetings and for then, then that meeting about 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 
someone else, look, you need to come back outside, Duncan, come back outside, look at this. And so then all over the other side of town, they said there's all these people gathered over there. Another 400 people had gathered. Where do you think they gathered? Around at the house of the two old ladies. They, they said we need to, something, they, they just showed up. They didn't even know, half of them didn't even know what they showed. They showed up and these ladies began to speak to them and there's another church meeting going on over there at four o'clock in the morning at the same time in this village. And then for the next three years, towns from all over kept gathering in this place and town until the whole island was swept with the power of God over a three-year period. And it said that everyone, everyone on the whole island was touched with the power of God. All of that happened is because two ladies had a concern for the young people of their town and said, we need to pray. And they prayed. Just two of them. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, I'll be there. Whether it's two or 200 or 2,000 gathering in prayer, God moved in their heart. And then they said, you need to pray as well and called the eldership of the church to pray. And then it just went from there. And they all they came together because... They were stirred to pray. I share that because it highlights to me that prayer is a key to everything we're doing. When I, I've, I've been in a powerful move of God over in America in, in Brown over 10, 15, 18 years ago now, 19 years ago, and, uh, and that whole move of God in that church happened because the church began to gather and pray for two years leading up, then one Sunday, the place just kind of just exploded. Just God just showed up in glory, and just and for the next five or six years, four million people came to Jesus. And so it happened because their small prayer group of thirty or forty began to pray, and then more just got a burden to pray for their city and pray for their people, and just gathered until five, six, seven hundred people, whatever it was, uh, most of their church gathered for one night during the week and pray, then God just said, I hear you cry. And he came. And if we look at our nation that we'd say is in serious spiritual trouble, then we need a serious response. And we can, we can kind of come to church all the time and gather and have incredible meetings and gather together, but there's, we know it, you know it, and I know it, there's thousands of people that aren't, don't know Jesus, that are going to eternity away from him. They're dying in our city daily, and I don't know if they know Jesus, but we can change it with prayer. So I want to talk to you, you know, we can pray personally, and we can pray corporately. There's different, Jesus prayed, there's times when Jesus prayed by himself. And there's times when you need to gather together and pray. And he would have done both of the disciples. Here's a couple of examples. When Jesus had to make a decision, okay, when he made a decision about who he was going to pick as his 12 closest disciples, there was a lot, there was hundreds of people that would have followed him, but he picked the 12 that he wanted to draw close to him and really 
uh, speak to and train. The Bible says in Luke 6 to 12 and 13, one day soon after Jesus went up to the mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all the disciples and chose 12 then the apostles. So when, when you need to make important decisions about what you're doing, maybe you are making the decision when it's not just a group of people doing it, when it's you and you're making decisions about your life, you need to get to God personally in prayer and seek God or your per- family needs to get together and do it you know, personally and pray about important things. When Jesus needed to talk and spend time with God and get refreshed, because he'd go off and, and speak all day long and pray for the sick and all that, and he'd get tired and weary as you would. When he needed to get refreshed and get in God's presence, just talk to his father, he went off up a mountain, often for early in the morning or late night or all night, whatever it may be, for part of the night, and he'd, whenever he could get away, because the daytime was hard, and he'd spend time with God in prayer. So we regularly, personally, need to get away personally ourselves and spend time with him in prayer personally, to be refreshed to, how, to let God speak to you and encourage you and help you. That's important. But there's times, many times in the Bible, where they gather together corporately, corporately or together in groups, whichever way you want to say it, but they came together. One of these occasions, we ha- see it happen with the book of Acts quite a bit, one of these occasions is when they need a breakthrough to happen. When there's a serious situation going on, Peter had been thrown into prison, being arrested. They thought he was going to put put on trial and die, possibly, and uh, all this stuff. They'd already killed uh, one of the other disciples and thought, well, Peter, if they put him on trial, they're going to say he's going to, we're going to get rid of him as well. And so Peter, who was one of their main leaders, they, be, they began to pray. So he's thrown into prison, and it says in Acts 12, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guards by four squads of four soldiers each. So he's got 16 soldiers guarding him. He was an important guy, Peter. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. It says, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Not just a few people, but the church, the whole church gathered together in someone's house, wherever that may have been. And they began to pray for him. It's an incredible story if you want to read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing now. But it's the story where he miraculously, in the middle of the night, all the guards fall asleep. An angel appears in front of Peter. All his chains just fall off. And the angel says, get up. And he walks to the door and the gate miraculously opens up and the locks open up. And he walks past all the guards who are like staring but just can't see anything. And all that, you know, like you see in the movies all the time. And so, and so just like, and Peter's like, am I in a dream? What's going on? And he walks through past all the guards and walks out of the prison. And then the Bible says that he kind of, um, you know, we, it says when it had dawned on him, in other words, he sort of got hang on a minute, this is real. And he looks back and he's out of prison. Chains are gone. Guards don't even know he's left. So when this is dawn on him, he went back to the house of Mary and mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So they're still praying for his release, for a miracle to happen. Peter knocks on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So it's like, oh, he's here, and just runs off, shuts the door in his face. And... um. Which I think is quite funny. And um, if you're there, if you're Peter, like, yeah, it's me. Can I open the door? No? Okay, bye. And, and then, they, then she runs back in. They're praying for Peter. Okay, the church is praying. We need, this is serious. Peter could die tomorrow. They're praying. And then they, she goes back and tells them, and they say, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind that, you know, that Peter could be free, that we're praying for to be free, but he, how can he be free? 
When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. They still thought he was like, it must be like you're seeing things. But Peter kept on knocking because Rhoda didn't come back. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished that God actually answered their prayer. This This is the church in Acts that saw people raised from the dead. Incredible miracles, all kinds of miracles that we like read about, and they're astonished that God actually answered another prayer. They're astonished. Peter motioned with his hand, like that, for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. There's times when you need breakthrough. In a serious situation, there's another time when they were gathered and God had released um, some other people that were, you know, going to be, and Peter again, and earlier on in Acts. And it says they gathered and they began to thank God and thank Him for what He had done. And it says as they prayed for more boldness to be be active and to share God's Word, it says the whole place was shaken as they prayed. Physically shaken because they prayed together in unity. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. A weapon that, that I think the church sometimes underestimates or doesn't knows it's there, but sometimes we just forget to use it. I was going to bring, Riley's got a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like this massive Nerf gun that's like, and about this round, and I was going to use it and write prayer on it and start shooting people, but I thought that was... It's kind of like prayers like that, you know. It's kind of like prayer is like this. It's imagine you've got like this massive weapon next to you. And you know, this is a very effective weapon if you're playing Nerf Wars. Very effective weapon. And it's like, oh, but I'm just going to, no, I don't need it. I'm bulletproof. Don't need it. Don't need it. I'm, not, I've, I've got, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to use that weapon. It's like we've got the weapon sitting there, but we just don't pick it up. It's there, but we don't. Um, you know, and there's, there can be a thousand excuses not to pray, but none of them are good enough. If, if a blind, lay, two sisters, one's blind and one's deaf, can pray and see a move of God sweep over thousands of people across their island over three years, then we've got no excuses not to pray. No excuses whatsoever. Second Chronicles 714, it's a scripture we've all heard. If you've been in church for a while, you would have heard this, but this is the truest scripture we need to hear that carries the most truth. Then if, there's a massive if right at the start, because I know this happens unless you do it, if you do it. If we don't do it, then things stay the same. But if my people, that's you and me, are called, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and restore or heal their land. That's what our nation needs. It needs restoration, it needs healing, it needs an awakening, it needs a move of God. It's interesting when we read that story before in Hebrides about when that young man got up and read Psalm 24. And he said, and he read it about having clean hands and a pure heart. 
And he turns to God and says, God, are my hands clean? He was, re- what it, he was repenting. He goes, God, I'm not right with you. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And the moment he said, God, he was saying, God, I want my heart to be pure. I want my hands to be pure in all that I do. The, that's the moment God moved. One man stood up. One guy stood up. And he turned to everyone and said, we need this. And obviously they were in agreement. The repentance, and that's what that scripture talks about. They'll pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He says, my people. He's not talking about people that don't know him. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about his people that know God turning from their wicked ways. Us getting our lives right. Us getting the junk out. Making room. Getting rid of the stuff that's in the way. The stuff we've allowed to stop us praying or stop or getting distracted. And there's many things is, and there's important things we do. We're all busy, but our busyness can see our nation go to hell if we don't stop and pray. Recently, the start of this year, we are uh, in this back room here. We started, uh, I got all the, our kids, our youth, our young adult leaders together uh, at the end of last year and talked about how and I realized that in in our church here we had never ever uh, gotten together our kids youth and young adult leaders in a meeting together ever together just to talk and chat and hang out and whatever and then God put in my heart to that we should get together and pray and so at the beginning of February we uh, every every Tuesday afternoon fortnightly from 5:30 to 6:30 we've uh, gathered together and we pray. We had some worship. Someone shared something short, and we've prayed sp- uh, specifically for our kids, our youth, our young adults, and and that's and our leaders have got together. But it's open to any one of the teams. Anyone wants to come, and we've got together and pray. And then the other week, about a month ago, five or six weeks ago, I looked at our things that have been happening in our kids and our youth, and I realised that. The only thing we've done different is we started to pray in February. And as of now, um, I realized that when I looked at figures that our youth have grown by 30% in attendance. And our kids have grown by 50% on a kids club on a Friday night in attendance. And the only thing we've done differently is pray. That's all we've done. We haven't tried, we haven't had some, you need to go and invite more of your friends. We haven't done any of that. We haven't tried to do any of that kind of stuff. And, and it's just because we prayed and given attention, God has actually moved and drawn kids. There's people coming and they say, I need to come along. Can I come along? Can I? And our buses are full and we can't fit any more kids in our youth and kids. Our two buses that we run on those nights are totally full because all these kids want to come and we can't have got room for any more that want to come on the bus. And all we've done is pray. And that's encouraging to me, that the power of prayer. I was uh, stirred also that uh, that we might just throw that slide up there for a second. There's, I was stirred also that at, or last week went to a conference for Youth Alive uh, leadership conference and uh, and the first night Cameron Bennett was talking actually about prayer and he shared some stories about you know that there's a stirring in our nation that's happening at the moment that that what's happening here is also happening everywhere. I got an email on Thursday saying that in a few weeks' time the young adults said that the youth and young adults there's a stirring of prayer in the youth and young adults in our nation and in two weeks' time there's a there's a prayer meeting happen nationwide that's going to be you can connect in with via video link and, and thousands of youth and 
and young adults are going to be praying in our nation because they're saying we need to pray. And this, this is happening, not just a stirring here, but it's happening all over our nation because pray for our nation because our nation, we need to get serious about our nation because it's seriously in spiritual trouble. And I'm not worried about that because God can change that in a day. God can move in a, in a very short period of time and transform people, but it only happens when we actually get together and gather together in unity and pray. So this is, just throw those um, up there, Joe, those, I've just put on what we decided to do, that there's prayer meeting on Friday, and instead of having it on a Friday, and as of this Tuesday, we're going to make Tuesday a day where we, we pray at Bayside, corporately, in groups. And so from 6.30 to 8 o'clock this Tuesday and every Tuesday, you can come here, and there'll be a prayer meeting in, this, in the main auditorium or the back room here. Uh, at 9.30, there's a prayer meeting that happens here. That's Sylvia and the team uh, that pray, and then also um, Tuesday. Tuesdays on fortnightly from 5.30 to 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m., our youth leaders get together and pray. All those prayer meetings are open for anyone to come in the afternoon, 1 till 3. There's another one here, 1 till 3 on Tuesday. So we've covered every time slot on a Tuesday. Wednesday night, there's soak at Transformations at 7.30 p.m. And I encourage you to, um, is it 7 o'clock or 7? Seven, it's seven o'clock. Come come seven thirty, you'll miss it. So come at seven. It is seven thirty, radio. It's seven thirty. Any other eight o'clock? Do I have an eight, eight, eight take? Um seven thirty. Come early, you'll be right. And uh so Wednesday nights. What I'm saying is that, you know, got the time, whatever. What I'm asking you is this we need more people praying. We need you to be at these prayer meetings. Sylvia, I commend you for so many years of praying. I do. And Glenda, Aaron, and uh, there's been Sylvia, ever since I've been in this church, Sylvia's been praying on a Tuesday for 25, 30 years, whatever it's been. And, uh, and every day. And the reason why our church, why we have great meetings isn't always because we can get up here and Pastor Ross is a great preacher or we can get up and do that. You know, really, the, the truth is that there's so much prayer happened behind the scenes in our church that prayer paves the way for what God does. And I just want to stir you tonight that we need you to pray. And if you're saying, well, I can't make a Tuesday, well, at 8 a.m., before church for half an hour, from 8 to 8.30, there's a prayer meeting in that room. Come to that. At 5 o'clock, before church, every Sunday, there's a prayer meeting in that room. At 10 o'clock, you can go in that room and pray before services. There's no excuse not to come and pray. Please pray. Our nation won't change just by sitting back and just saying, God, you'll do it. He's going, come on. If my people are called, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We need you to pray. We need you to pray. Why don't you stand to your feet? Worship team, you can come. You might say, I don't know how to pray. You don't need to know how to pray. Just show up. Just show up. Just show up and sing a song. Just show up and join in. God will help you to pray. There's no pressure, but there's an urgency in the Spirit. There's an urgency. There's people that need to know Jesus. There's people in our city that won't know Him unless we are stirred to pray. And I just pray tonight 
that God's Spirit is beginning to stir your heart. I know some of you at work, I know you work long hours, I know you can't make all those prayer meetings. If you can come half an hour and at 6.30 in the morning or 7 before work, then come. If it's part of a prayer meeting, whatever it is, but just gather together and pray. Because the Bible also says, God says, if where there is unity, I command the blessing. When we get together and pray, it brings unity in the Spirit. There's something happens when we corporately pray together. That God's power comes. He'll transform your life in the midst of doing it, and He'll transform our city as well at the same time. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.